0: It's absolutely essential that uh, even if you think you've got the best idea in the world, if it's even come from a surgical team, which many of the best medical devices do, that uh, you conduct really appropriate and in-depth market research. And um, to involve surgeon interviews and clinical interviews for as many of the marketplaces that you're considering you are going to be active. Welcome to
1: MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, in this interview, we're sitting down with Graham Smith, the CEO of Lightpoint Medical. Graham is a medtech veteran with over 32 years of experience in the space with a lot of expertise in American, Swiss, and Australian companies. After joining Lightpoint earlier this year, Graham was charged with commercializing its drop-in gamma probe called Sensei, which is a revolutionary tool used in surgeries to non-invasively identify the presence of cancer. The gamma probe syncs with other robotic surgery equipment so that surgeons can read Sensei's results from a single screen. In this conversation here, are a few of the things that we're going to learn from Graham's experiences. First, designing a successful product launch requires extensive investment in market research, surgeon interviews, and clinical observations. A strong commercial plan is an absolute necessity. Regulatory demands differ from market to market. Identifying and partnering with the best clinical research organizations will position you to successfully navigate the variety of differing guidelines. Third, many key stakeholders are involved with launching a product, strategically approaching relationships with payers, distributors, and investors will set your company up for a successful commercial launch. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to mention a few things. First, since you're listening to MedSider, you're probably aware of how expensive it is to run clinical trials. Anyone who spent time in the medtech space knows that you typically need to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars, oftentimes millions, towards clinical research. But it doesn't have to be that way, and here's why. ProofPilot is a new kind of hybrid clinical trial platform that enables you to run decentralized studies at costs that are 40 to 80% below traditional approaches. This is how they do it. First, you can easily design a trial in the ProofPilot visual protocol designer using their extensive library of templates. Next, you can launch those trials to participants and virtual staff without any technical development. Skip the integration of disconnected providers because ProofPilot pulls it all together seamlessly. For example, you can recruit, consent, and retain participants, then schedule, remind, and collect data, often with minimal manual labor, manage site data in real time, query adverse events quickly, and review data and preliminary analysis within hours, all in one compliant platform. Get up and running quickly with an annual license fee and launch as many trials as you like with an unlimited number of participants. To get started, visit medsiderradio.com forward slash ProofPilot. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash ProofPilot. For the MedSider audience, with an annual contract, ProofPilot will provide IRB approval for your first study at no cost. Some exclusions apply, so visit medsiderradio.com forward slash ProofPilot to learn more. Okay, second, if you're into learning from proven medtech leaders and want to know when the new content and interviews go live, head over to medsider.com and sign up for our free newsletter. You'll get access to gated articles and lots of other interesting healthcare content. If you want even more inside info from medtech experts, think about a Medsider Premium Membership. We talk to experienced healthcare leaders about the nuts and bolts of running a business and bringing products to market. This is your place for valuable knowledge on specific topics like seed funding, prototyping, insurance reimbursement, and positioning a MedTech startup for an exit. In addition to the entire back catalog of Medsider interviews over the past decade, premium members get exclusive Ask Me Anything interviews and masterclasses with some of the world's most successful MedTech founders and executives. Since making the premium memberships available, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have signed up. So if you're interested, go to medsider.com to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Graham, uh, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate your invitation.
1: Uh, all right. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to the the, the conversation. We're on uh, kind of uh, two different parts of the world, right? You're in uh, you're over there in Scotland. I'm here in. Uh, in Southern California, you know, we're, we're spanning, spanning the, uh, the blue ocean here.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Uh, All right, your, your weather over there is bound to be a lot better than ours here for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: might be, it might be, although it's, it's, uh, we're recording this kind of here in the, in the summer of, uh, of 2021 and it's starting to, starting to heat up here in, in California, but, um, nonetheless, um, you have an extensive healthcare background, Graham. So, Maybe in you know five minutes, can you kind of bring us up to speed on your kind of career trajectory uh, leading up to your current CEO role at Lightpoint Medical?
0: Yeah, I mean I've been in the med tech industry specifically for nearly thirty-two years now. So I was recently introduced at um, a shareholder meeting as a, a med tech veteran, so an industry veteran, which kind of it, it hammered home, I suppose, just uh, how long I have been in the industry, but. I've loved it. I've loved every minute. I mean, I started my career with a company called United States Surgical Corporation in Norwalk in Connecticut. And um, U.S. Surgical was really quite famous and still is in many ways because the the company was very innovative. It always kind of it really uh, advanced into new ground. Uh, they were responsible, for example, for the the global use of surgical staplers, um, in surgery around the world. We also released the first disposable laparoscope, uh, laparoscopic port, sorry, and, and shears and graspers when the general surgery community really started moving rapidly into minimally invasive surgery. So the company was quite famous because in those days, we were trained to scrub during procedures. Uh, and that's indeed how we we would work. And our... Uh, part of our our role, our job, was really to build relationships with the surgical teams and nurses to offer a service that helped them with their their daily work and make sure that the surgical instruments that they were using of ours, uh, that we provided uh, verbal technical support during the procedures. So for the surgical staplers and then rapidly into the minimally invasive world, which at that time was exploding. So U.S. Surgical... Um, a lot of the people that I worked with in those days I still am in contact with, and they've all moved on into senior positions and in companies around the world. And many of the companies I've moved on to from the US surgical days uh, had US surgical connections. I I, I think it really was a, a part of my career which was very intense, but I also learned an awful lot about the industry Uh, about the importance of innovation and how closely medical innovation and surgical technique work really hand in hand and, and integrate so that new technologies coming along to enhance patient pathways and how the working with the surgical teams was vitally important so that when technology advanced, surgical teams were able to take that technology for the benefit of their patients and patient pathways. So I mean, from that time, I've had various roles, but um, the from large corporations in the med tech industry to startups, I've been really quite um, quite fortunate and, and, uh, and also a huge experience for me was really the five medtech startups that I've been involved with that went on to sell to and trade sales to larger, Medtech corporations, one sold to Sanofi Biosurgery, one to uh, Cook Medical, one to LaMetra, uh, one to ResTech and one to what, what is now Novartis. Um, those were three American companies in different surgical sectors, uh, one Swiss company and one Australian company. So for me, my business has always been global. Uh, my interests have been global. The companies I've worked with have been global. And I think that's the nature of our industry. Our industry is very much, uh, it's a small kind of almost cliquish industry with enormous returns and potential and enormous uh, impact for humanity. But... um, the experience I've had has shown me that really, when you when you start with a new technology, one of the key things is to get it international as soon as you can. You're never sure, no matter how clever and how deep your research has gone, you're never sure what countries are going to take your technology up and really run with it. So um, we can touch on that a little bit later, but um, I'm absolutely uh, that my experience has has shown me that there is uh, there's a definite uh, key uh, way, if you like, to bring a technology from concept to the marketplace and and everything in between.
1: When you talk about the, the kind of that global mindset, you know this this came up in a conversation, literally just just recently, with a company, a non US company, and we were talking about um, um one of their leaders in particular that because of his global mindset has enabled this particular company to kind of make. Leaps and bounds, right? Versus some of the competition, and do you? I mean, would you consider that kind of part of your your success across your career? Kind of leading, you know, being in senior leadership positions at, at so many different startup companies. That that kind of glo- that global mindset, and maybe maybe speak to that just a little bit more.
0: Yeah, sure. It's it's, it's vital. It's absolutely vital. And um, the, the contacts that you build, uh, usually, for example, a company like ours, uh, one of the pathways and one of the pathways for any medtech company is to go direct and to have direct operations in certain key marketplaces. And um, that, of course, works. It ensures focus and uh, gets you where you want to be as, as quickly as, as you need to be there. But the resource it takes to get there is enormous. And so what I've found over the years is working with um, medical device distributors is, in fact, a far more effective way of utilizing the resources of companies that are focused on their own marketplaces, such as in Italy or in France or and various things like that. So going with a global distributor model is really vitally important because you get a lot of activity focused in on the market with the distributors in those countries who know the KOLs and and the key opinion leaders in the country. They know how to access the health service. So by piggybacking on, on their foundation, if you like, it gets us into those marketplaces quickly, so in my experience, this is this is absolutely the fastest and most effective, efficient way of bringing a startup medical device into the global marketplace.
1: Got it. And I, I certainly want to circle back around. You know, as we get kind of into the into the part of the conversation here, where we were learning a little bit more um, more about kind of the lessons learned you've long you, you've learned along the way leading up to Lightpoint. But first, let's start with Lightpoint. You know, you've you know, you've been involved in so many different, you know, startup med tech companies over the years, especially kind of over the last over the last five. What compelled you, you know, earlier this year to go ahead and kind of take the leadership helm as as CEO of Lightpoint? Uh, you know, and in, in, I think probably when was this? This was earlier in two thousand twenty one, maybe just a a few months ago now.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was um, I was approached by the, our chairman and founder uh, David Tuck, who's Boston based. And uh, David and I had served on a board of a company previously. So we, we knew each other and I've been watching Lightpoint and its development um, uh, over, the, over the years. And uh, the appeal was immediate because the, the device is, is very unique. It's, uh, it's the only drop-in probe, gamma probe, on the marketplace uh, specifically for effective use in minimally invasive and uh, robotic surgery. So it ticked a lot of boxes. And the team in Lightpoint Medical, who I've known for many of them for, for quite a number of years as well, also really appealing, their, their technological know-how, their standards in terms of how they work. Everything about the company really appealed to me. So, And they were commercial. Uh, my last role was the CEO of a company called Ostomy Cure which is a Norwegian-owned company, but based at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. And it's uh, also a unique device for for cancer, uh, especially those patients living with permanent ileostomies. But it's still in clinical phase. So for me, the attraction of working with Lightpoint was bringing what I consider to be my main strength is to help companies commercialise Uh, and to help medtech companies get their products to marketplace. And and Lightpoint had already a CE mark, uh, FDA, and um, TGA uh, rights to sell in their respective marketplaces. So it really was a major attraction for me to take my knowledge and experience and contacts and allow Lightpoint to bring their brilliant product Sensei to the marketplace as quickly as possible.
1: Speaking about that, that product Sensei, can you you know, and, and I don't expect you to go kind of too far into the weeds here, but can you give us an idea of of how this product even and even came about, right? And, and you mentioned um, you mentioned David, one of the one of the founders, but help us tell uh, at least at a high level, uh, you know, that that kind of that inception story, if you will.
0: Sure. Well, at the moment in in surgery, surgeons, if they're working in a, in a specific surgery, there are very few options for them to tell. Whether tissue is cancerous or not at the moment if they're if they suspect cancer they have to take a biopsy and uh, that needs to go for histopathological uh, analysis and then a frozen section is re- usually returned and the surgical team then get their answer it, is it is it cancer or is it not which means do i take it out or do i leave it and the taking the cancer out is one element but the leaving behind a good Tissue is also another major concern for surgical teams. So it was clear that uh, with the development of Sensei, which is the only, it's the smallest, most manoeuvrable uh, gamma probe in the marketplace, designed specifically for robotics and minimal invasive use. So all those things together meant it was a winning combination. Is a winning combination. So we're very excited about the technology and what we've developed, and um, the the clear pathway that led us there really was the the deep engineering and scientific and clinical knowledge within Lightpoint Medical's team. Very talented and and deeply set and understanding oncology and and cancer surgery really well. And, you know, from the point of view of what they've developed, I think it's brilliant. And it was one of the main appeals for me joining Lightpoint Medical.
1: Got it. No, that, that's super helpful. And, and just for my reference, I'm looking at the Lightpoint site right now, which is lightpointmedical.com. Is this a probe that just plugs right into an existing you know, hardware system or is it, com- is it completely kind of a, its own closed loop system?
0: Well, it's it has its own uh, control unit, which gives an auditory and visual signal as to, to whether tumor is uh, is there or not. And also we've, we've very cleverly interfaced the Uh, the the software and the hardware to work uh, with large robotic systems that are currently uh, in situ around the world. And um, when a surgeon is working on a robot, they tend to have their head down and very focused. It's one of the attractions of robotic work in that they're not losing their perspective as they're working if they're having to look left, right, forward, up. So in a robotics console, they're looking down and at one particular Aspect of their surgery, so our our control unit insets onto the robotic uh, screens that the surgeon is looking at. The screen they're looking at, so that they don't need to look up, or or look over to see our unit. It actually interfaces onto the robotic systems that we're working uh, closely with at the moment.
1: Got it. Very helpful. Um, well, with that said, we'll we'll circle back around maybe here in about twenty minutes and, and talk a little bit about what's next for Lightpoint and, and Sensei. But we'll take kind of a, a pause on that particular uh, subject and um, really focus more on kind of you know some of the, the key insights and lessons learned that that you've uh, that that you've kind of garnered over the course of your you know your extensive career in medtech, Graham. And and maybe um, you know considering that your your wheelhouse is commercial. I want to ask you some, you know, some other other questions about re, you know regulatory approaches and um, and, and clinical data uh, strategy around clinical evidence. But let's start with commercial first. Um, you touched on this a little bit already, but are there, you know, when you think about some of your best, you know, commercial launches, right? Um, whether it's um, whether it's an existing product, kind of existing product family in the market, or whether it's something brand new. You know, are, there, are there a few things that, that come to mind when you think about what makes a successful uh, commercial launch for a, you know, an early-stage uh, medtech company?
0: Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a very good and broad question. I think that now, the way things are now, I would say it's absolutely essential that uh, even if you think you've got the best idea in the world if it's even come from a surgical team, which many of the best medical devices do, that uh, you conduct really appropriate and in-depth market research and um, to involve surgeon interviews and clinical interviews for as many of the marketplaces that you're considering you are gonna be active. You can often get blinded by a tremendous idea that is gonna be extremely difficult to launch into the marketplace. And now with evidence-based medicine being strong on the agenda of not just the surgical teams, but the management of of hospitals with very closely guarded uh, budgets, then you need to make sure that no matter how good you think your idea is, that there is indeed a marketplace and that you can access it. So I would say, first and foremost, market research prior to launch and appropriate surgeon interviews to get the feedback from the people who will be using the device. Uh, I would say that's uh, vital and very very important.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, that's a super interesting comment because um, I remember it's similar to something Dan Rose mentioned. He's the CEO of, uh, of LimFlow, um, and he's o- he's over in uh, in Europe as well right now. But um, he, he mentioned that very same thing. Like market in-depth market research um, was something that was absolutely crucial, right, for their launch and is sometimes you know, underappreciated. Right. And I, and I, I guess from my experience, and I'm not sure if this, this resonates with you is um, I think most folks that have been around a little bit, understand the need for market research, but maybe not, maybe not the level of market research that's really needed to validate something. And so have you, have you seen that across the board, different sort of different, different layers of, of market research and like, how do Thank you, you
0: yeah. We engage uh, and we're doing it right now. We're, we're investing in, uh, in surgeon interviews and um, which can often, well, there are markets, the key markets that we're aiming to to approach, and with the uh, surgical specialties that we we're looking to engage with, so we we've got very specific questions, we've got very specific um, pathways we need to have clarified, and uh, that effort is really really worthwhile. So even though we've now effectively launched, we're we've already our first sales are are coming in, we still haven't stopped with the with the surgeon interviews and surgeons development because we'll find almost certainly the clinical teams will show us markets that we haven't even thought of. And that happened recently when we, this kind of social media activity around my appointment happened. I was approached by a, a key professor at a big London hospital and his comments were, and he was in a surgical specialty in general surgery that we hadn't even considered at this early stage and he said, Graham, this is exactly what we're looking for. We've been waiting for a device like this. So all of a sudden, the the interest from the clinicians drives our focus. And, and we're now exploring a clinical study with that professor to make sure that we can, number one, prove efficacy, uh, safety, all the normal demands that any medtech device now has uh, from the from the regulatory authorities, we'll we'll make sure we comply with those. But uh, so yeah, that that's vital, really, really key.
1: Uh, very, very good. And and on that note, talk you know on the on the topic kind of of, of regulatory and, and, and clinical kind of pathways. Let's chat a little bit about that because you know most of your uh, you've got you've got a lot of experience with some innovative innovative technology. You know which which uh, you know oftentimes comes with some regulatory. Unique right regulatory challenges, right, and, and clinical data is just is a, is a, you know a crucial part of that. So when you think about some of this, um, you know, early these 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 new kind of um, you know innovative early stage sort of med tech products, how do you typically think like like Sensei, right? Sensei is a great example. Mm-hmm. Like how I know um, Lightpoint already had a CE mark, right, and they were you know. Pretty far along, it sounds like with uh, with the FDA pathway. But you know, are there a couple pieces of, of advice that you can kind of offer up to other you know other med tech leaders that are kind of in the same boat and try to figure out kind of what uh, what the best approach is you know for their uh, regulatory approach for their specific product?
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, really, my strongest advice and my own experience is don't underestimate the time and effort and finances necessary to get through the current regulatory demands internationally. There isn't a market that's worth approaching now that doesn't have its own unique sets of demands. And so you need to partner with the best notified body you can find and the best clinical research organizations to help you with your clinical data. And not end up underestimating those elements is a key piece of advice I would give to any startup company because As I said earlier, evidence-based medicine is is the path now. It's it's what everybody is demanding of of every medtech company. And to get our and your product to market, you really need to prepare for some significant work even before you can sell a single product.
1: Got it. And when it when it comes to you mentioned, you know, the, the general surgeon, right? That kind of had re, had reached out, you know, when you were appointed CEO of of Lightpoint, and it sounds like he was, you know, he expressed some interest in in uh, potentially um, uh, partnering on some clinical data or some 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 clinical studies. How do you typically um, manage through that approach when you've got, you know, a a strategy that's needed for, you know, maybe a particular regulatory approach, but then you've got you know, physicians that maybe are, you know, reaching out kind of in in, an inbound sort of fashion, wanting to collaborate. How do you balance, you know, those two? Well,
0: it's really quite exciting when the clinicians approach us like that, because it's a sure sign that you have a winning product on your hand when what's called IIS studies or uh, investigator initiated studies are cropping up all over the place. And and we have uh, one, we have uh, Germany, Netherlands uh, France Spain Brazil Australia and now London uh, in the UK and these are uh, these are all studies that have started along the path from interest within the clinical community so they they've looked at your product they can see it can help with their their patient pathways and and they want to invest their own time effort and money and doing some research on your product now that's one side of things, which is great. you 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 know you can support where necessary um, without the, of course the funding is is their responsibility, but there often would be training, there would be necessary kind of uh, technical advice and technical support that we would need to give to those units to make sure that they use the proper the product correctly, that uh, all the necessary standards were in place, et cetera. But it's very encouraging when IIS uh, activity is underway because it shows, again, that you've got something the the surgeons and and the clinicians are looking at and thinking, that's interesting. Uh, And they're very, very busy people. So you only really get their time these days when you have something of interest to them. But that kind of clinician-initiated study, for me, is the best kind. When you've got your own multi-center studies underway, uh, you plan the endpoints, you plan what you need to prove, as the kind of necessary endpoints to get you onto the marketplace successfully. Uh, but an IIS study could lead you in directions where you're, you really don't know uh, the, the positive benefits that will show from the activity that comes from their, their uh, initial interest and their research. So it's the two are kind of side by side. They're hand in hand. Company-sponsored studies plus the initiated studies they investigated initiated studies again all part of the equation these days to get a product to market you need clinical data
1: hey there it's scott and thanks for listening in so far the rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for medsider premium members if you're not a premium member yet you should definitely consider signing up You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CBRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium.